You'll be glad to know that I have notes. Because if I start talking about our ministry in England without notes, it may not be good for you. (laughs) We can talk about it for a long time. (laughs) I love the picture that's up. And what we're going to try to do is just to present some pictures uh, for those of you that haven't seen England firsthand. How many of you have actually been to England? Raise your hand. Wow, quite a few. Very good. So you know what we're talking about. Uh, It is a beautiful place. We were just amazed every time we'd get out and drive around. Once we got over the the fear of driving, we were just amazed (laughs) by how beautiful everything was. Um, For those of you who don't know, Brenda and I were privileged to spend January through July of this year serving at Ducklington Baptist Church in Oxfordshire, England. And we did learn a lot while we were there because the Sunday before we left, we spoke just briefly, and I pronounced it Oxfordshire. So I had no idea that that's not the way you pronounce it. It's Oxfordshire. So we did learn a lot while we were there. Uh, uh, We were with a ministry or with a ministry called American Interim Pastors, uh, AIPM for short, that provides volunteer interim pastors for small Baptist churches in England. Now, let me define the word small. Okay, get out of the U.S. mindset. Uh, On a good Sunday, if everybody in our church was there, we had 16. And that's including us two. (laughs) Uh, And the average church in the area of England we were in was 25 or 30. In fact, the, the Baptist Union of Great Britain classified large Baptist churches as anything over 50. So, Baptist churches are not real prominent on the... English landscape, definitely. Uh, But these are obviously small enough churches that they can't support their own full-time British pastor. But I tell you, we love living in England. It was so different than than living here in the United States. And and neither of us had ever set foot on English soil. So it was very interesting to move there for six months. Uh, Everything in England is so small, and when we first landed, they almost apologized. You know, your house is going to be small and your house and your car is going to be small and just everything is small. And they were right. Everything is really small. Uh, but that's okay. We, we got used to that, except for the roads. I'm not sure we ever really got used to driving on those roads. <laughs> but everywhere you drive, you'd see this kind of scenery. Uh, coming from cattle country in West Texas, it was very different because there aren't many cattle in England. It is definitely sheep country. Um, it's funny the differences that we, uh, that we observed while we were there. Uh, even though we speak the same language, supposedly, trust me, it's a very different language over there. Uh, one of the uh, common sayings when they describe the U.S. and England is that it's two countries divided by a common language. And that is very, very right. Uh, Spiritually, England is referred to as a post-Christian nation, I think, by mainly people in the United States. Church attendance all over England is at about 3%, and that's all churches, okay? Now, the area that we lived in was almost like the British Bible Belt. Uh, We were up to about 6%, okay? So you figure that that would have been the most conservative, probably most spiritual area of England and still six people out of every hundred would actually attend church on Sunday morning. Uh, but you know, quite honestly, we found it very similar to the United States in a lot of ways. Uh, it's a very affluent 
country, very affluent country, very expensive country. Um, and you know, kind of like the United States, affluent countries, I think the struggle is most people don't really see a need for God. They've got plenty of food, they've got a nice car, they've got a house. So when it comes to ministry, I think it's very, very similar to ministering here in the United States. Uh, but we did find Christians, devoted followers of Christ, everywhere we went in England. Uh, the difference is, for the most part, they're not very outspoken about their faith. And that's where we come in as American interim pastors. They take a couple like us, and not only do we go there to pastor the church and do all the pastoral, you know, you preach and lead Bible studies and all those things, but most importantly, you live in the village and you, amongst neighbors, English neighbors, and you get to know people in your village and you get to build relationships with them. And God, the way he always does, opens up opportunities for you to share your faith. And you know, when you live around people like that and you really get to know them, you're interested in them, God was faithful on a regular basis to open up opportunities for us to share our faith. I can't count how many times that we did that the six months that we were there. But it all came from taking the time to spend time with people and to get to know them and build relationships with them and then watching for opportunities that God would give you as he would open the door to have a spiritual conversation with them. And he did that on a regular basis. You'll notice in the pictures that come up that the English countryside is breathtaking. It's really one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And uh, the history there is very rich. Uh, Living in a town called Ducklington, you would assume there have to be ducks. And so this is the duck pond in Ducklington, and behind it sits the parish church. Now, Christians have met on that plot of soil since 950 that they know of. The church itself, some of the earliest parts of the church were built in the 1190s, and they still meet there to worship. There's a small congregation there. The church bells ring every Sunday morning at 9.30 to call people to worship. So it's very traditional in, 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 just as, as English villages go. Um, there is a, one road that runs through the middle of Ducklington, which goes into Whitney, which is a town of about 25,000 people adjacent to Ducklington. And we spent a lot of time walking those sidewalks that you see. Our church was a four-minute walk from our house. And um, as Dennis said, everything in England is very small, and that includes our house. Uh, we lived in a little 900-square-foot terrace house from about where you see that drain pipe to the corner. That was our house. And um, the neighborhoods are very, very close. Roads are very narrow. Everybody walks places. And um, those second-story windows of that little terrace house became a vantage point for us when we would see someone uh, come out the front door to walk down the sidewalk or go out and work in their garden or go out to wash their car. Uh, we would make a reason to get outside and visit with them. And uh, we fondly named this Stalking for Jesus. <laughs> and so if I was in the kitchen and I heard Dennis coming down the stairs, I knew that somebody was fixing to come by the front of our house. And he was going to be working in the garden, or he was going to be checking the mail, or he was going to be doing something to make a face-to-face contact with whoever that person was. 
Let me talk just a minute about uh, the little church we were at. We love the people at Ducklington Baptist Church, and we were amazed at how quickly and how deeply that God developed those relationships that we had with them. Uh, besides Sunday morning worship services, uh, we had Monday night Bible study. That's a picture of our church right there. We had Monday night Bible study at the church. We had Wednesday night prayer time in our home. That's the inside of the church. That was on the 4th of July, which they don't celebrate in England. <laughs> and you can see there's British and American flags there. And the church did that. We didn't do that. The church did that. So we had a lot of fun with them. But you can see it's just a small little church. At our uh, Bible study and prayer time, this was kind of the normal group. There was eight or nine of us that were there. Uh, the numbers on the wall behind was not our attendance. That was the hymn numbers we were singing from. So. <laughs> but it was a great group of people that we dearly grew to love. But you think about during the week at Bible study and prayer time, if you've got a maximum of 16 people in your church and you're having nine come to prayer time or Bible study... That's a, I'll put that percentage up against anybody that I know. That's pretty good. And the ones who didn't make it were 90 years old. So, <laughs> I'm not sure what our excuse is. <laughs> uh, one of the things I think that made the biggest difference, uh, we had a real emphasis for God's Word while we were there. And I mean, before we went, absolutely. Uh, think about this little church, though. They had been without a pastor for 18 months. So to have consistent messages on Sunday that were from Scripture and to have Bible study every Monday night that, that truly was Bible study, uh, it made a big difference to them. And I think it kind of got them back into Scripture. It's one of the things we saw in England a lot, that there wasn't much emphasis on Scripture. And we would go to other churches. Nobody even brought their Bible. You know, I got to preach in a Methodist church one night, and not one, not one person brought a Bible. They had no pew Bibles available. So, very, very different culture there. <laughs> Um, one of the other things that we did that we uh, really embraced was trying to do outreach for the church because we obviously want this church to grow. They had had uh, toddler groups meeting in the church building for years, had never really worked on developing those relationships. And this is a picture of a, a toddler group picnic that we put together uh, at the uh, local cricket field. Yeah. It doubled as a soccer field as well. But we had over 50 people that came. It was a great opportunity. I grilled burgers and hot dogs. Very American, you know. Uh, and it was very cold as well, <laughs> like it usually is there. But it was a great time just to take that relationship, get it outside of that church building, and develop relationships with the people that had been coming to those toddler groups for years. I think it went a long way to the relationships that we were able to develop or that God was able to develop um, with us there. Besides spending time in Ducklington, uh, Brenda mentioned that the, the town of Whitney was right next door. And we went there. That's where you went to the grocery store. This is a picture of High Street in Whitney. Uh, beautiful market town, about 25,000 people. And it was a 15-minute walk from our front door to High Street. So that's why people walk over there because everything is so close. Uh, but what we would love to do, uh, we did this time and time again, uh, we, we didn't have a TV set in our house, you know, and it made us realize how much time we waste. So we would have nothing to do, and we would walk into Whitney, and we would, uh, we would sit, stop in at a, uh, at a shop and buy a baguette, which they call a sandwich over there, 
and we would sit down on a park bench there on High Street and just wait to see who would sit down beside us and to see where that conversation would go and how many times God would open up that opportunity to have a spiritual conversation with somebody just because we weren't busy, we weren't in a hurry, and we took the time to go sit and and develop a conversation with somebody, listen to what they have to say. The people over there are so friendly. And it's interesting that when they, you know, we talk a lot. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) we talk a lot. (laughs) So we would sit down on the park bench and start talking. Well, the minute our mouth opens, they know we're obviously not from Oxfordshire. (laughs) And they'd always ask, where are you from and what are you doing? And when I would say that I was entering pastoring the Baptist church, it was amazing how many times that, that those people would start talking about spiritual things. They would turn that conversation that way. And a lot of times it might be, so what do you see the difference in the spiritual climate between here and the United States? Or a lot of times, you know, you would get spiritual conversations. A lot of times it might be, well, I'm an atheist. You know, that's fine. Let's talk about that. <laughs> you know? Or... Well, I used to go, or my mother used to go to so-and-so church. But, you know, it didn't matter what their response was. I mean, the fact was that you were taking time to sit down and engage them in conversation. And if you would sit there and talk long enough, you would find out what they really believed. And you would have an opportunity to to speak the truth to people. But, you know, done in a conversational way. Because we obviously didn't know what was going to come out of their mouth, you know. And the first few times that somebody would just come out and say, I'm an atheist, I think we were kind of shocked. But... And you start going, well, let's talk about that. <laughs> so it's amazing how many times that God used those opportunities with people. Uh, we loved Whitney. There, this is a picture of a uh, uh, Good Friday walk of witness that all the churches in Whitney together supported. And we had a, Sunday, a, a Friday morning service at the at High Street Methodist. We did a walk of witness where all the people left that church and walked right up High Street with a man carrying a cross And we had a praise and worship service with some messages and music right there in the market of Whitney in front of everybody about 11 o'clock during the day. And it's, you know, so there, there are Christians there. Absolutely there are Christians there. And they want to share their faith. But I don't think they know how. I think, I think there's such a minority and, uh, it's just a very, very different climate there. So while we were there to enter and pass through the church, we really feel that one of our biggest jobs was really to just be ambassadors for Christ. I mean, outside the walls of Duckington Baptist Church, most of our days were spent just out in the community. And, you know, like 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, that we are ambassadors for Christ. So that was our job, really. Whether it was our friends from church, our neighbors, the people that we would see on the street, that really was our ultimate job. We were ambassadors for Christ. These pictures, uh, oh, that's a great picture of St. Mary's Anglican Church in Whitney, the big Anglican Church. Uh, Anglican churches are significant. I've got two pictures here. You see the church green. It's a very traditional English, uh, decent-sized town of the church green and the big Anglican church with the steeple. Uh, This is a typical small village Anglican church. Uh, The reason that this is important, these structures, these church buildings is what the towns and the villages and the cities were all built around. You think about it, these were mostly constructed in the 1100s and 1200s. That was the first thing in these little towns. So the towns would grow up around them. They were right in the middle of town. 
And so they historically are terribly important to, to England's culture and England's history now. And England, boy, history is a big deal in England. They love their old buildings. They respect their old buildings. So, but unfortunately, for, for most of the British people... When they think of church, they think about that 12th century building down in the center of town. They've kind of, they've kind of separated God from church, and they have a great love for their buildings. That's a great picture inside of that little, uh, little church that you saw earlier. Uh, that Bible's 200 years old. Right there on the lectern, the Ang- Anglican churches are open 24-7. They never lock the doors. So any little village you go to, and we went to lots of these in our time there, you could walk in and the pews might be from the 1400s and the lectern would be from the 1600s and the Bible would be 200 years old and it's just open all the time. And you don't see vandalism, you don't see theft and a lot of it is because they have a great respect for the institution of the church. Although those same people will never darken the door of church or they will say that they're an agnostic or they may even say that they're an atheist. But they love the church building. So they'll have fundraisers on a regular basis to support what they refer to as the fabric of the church. That's, that's the building. And people can feel good about giving money to support the restoring of these old buildings, but at the same time never give God a thought on a daily basis. So it, it's a very uh, different culture there. And these are, these are generalities because there are some Anglican churches that are very evangelistic and very evangelical and biblical, but they are definitely in the minority uh, typically what you hear now from the pulpits of these churches are messages on ecology and on um, recycling and how it's our responsibility to take care of the earth that God gave us. Uh, we made a good friend of another man who's a, with American Interim Pastors at a, a town about 75 miles north of us, and he actually heard a sermon from the local vicar. That's what they call the minister at the, at the Anglican church. And the, and the message was on... Uh, the gospel of global warming. I'm not sure how those words to go together. <laughs> but anyway, I'm not sure I would have believed it if I hadn't heard it with my own two ears. But you know, that is a great warning for us, I think, as, as Christians here, how imperative it is that we stay focused on God's Word and we stay focused on the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Because really what we noticed was not a lot of difference in England and America. They're just a little further down that road that our country is on. They've been at this a whole lot longer than we've been, but we're catching up to them pretty quick. Ducklington was only about 12 miles from Oxford, and you may recognize the name of Oxford and realize that it's the seat of education. And, you know, through the centuries, it was the center of theological education. Uh, but in the last 150 years, they've really lost their fervor for the Lord, and they're more focused on academics and uh, the environment and things like that. So Oxford is not producing as many theologians as it once did. Um, but the encouraging thing that we saw is that even though Oxford and Cambridge have uh, declined in their pursuit of theology and their love for the Lord, uh, we found a lot of little churches in villages much like Ducklington that were very alive. And one of those villages was the village of Arlington, and we uh, were fortunate enough to to meet a newly installed pastor at Arlington Baptist Church, and 
his two little girls in going to school had met a couple of American children whose parents were stationed at Fairford Air Force Base about five miles from Arlington in Bybury. And um, there was an Awana program on Fairford Air Force Base in their chapel. And back in July, they were planning on moving the Americans back to America, and that Awana program was going to cease to exist. And so Arlington Baptist Church decided that they wanted to have Awana at their church. And so they asked us, they, when, in talking to them, they found out that Dennis and I had been involved in Awana with our children when they were growing up. And, of course, you know how kids love Awana. And so we had the opportunity to go to their first Awana night and we learned verses, and this is playing Awana games in the garden of the manse, which is the, uh, the parsonage. So Awana looks a little different in Great Britain, but just as much fun. And this is the first Awana program to ever be on UK soil in a UK church. So we were really excited about that. Um, and I think that was the thing that I took away from it, was that even though the spiritual climate looks very discouraging and dark in Great Britain, there are still churches and there are still pastors like the people in Ducklington, the people in Arlington and Bybury that are interested in spreading the gospel. And um, so all is not lost. God's remnant is always there. Yeah. Well, and ultimately the, the most important thing is that God is still at work there. You know, we call it a post-Christian nation. It's almost like, you know, with that statement, you're kind of shutting the door. (laughs) Well, God has certainly not shut that door. He is definitely involved. We saw him at work everywhere we went. We ran into very dynamic, uh, godly people. So we're excited. Uh, We we absolutely loved our time there. We loved the, the people we loved ministering, especially. That's the thing that uh, to do that on a full-time basis, which doesn't mean 40 hours a week. It means <laughs> seven days a week, um, 24 hours a day, ultimately, which is what God calls all of us to do. Uh, we are excited about what we hear from Duckington Baptist Church. We have communication with them regularly and the U.S. couple that took our place. There's good things happening there. God is definitely at work in that little body. Uh, so we continue to pray for them and would encourage you to do the same thing. And hopefully we'll get to return. That's our prayer. Uh, maybe to Duckington. If not, there's other churches over there. But uh, God's in charge of that just like he is everything else. I, I mentioned earlier that um, the idea of being an ambassador for Christ. And I'm going to take a few minutes to look at that passage uh, in 2 Corinthians. Get your Bible or take one from the pew. If I was introducing this in England, I would say turn to 2 Corinthians, not 2 Corinthians. I never understood that. (laughs) But that's just what they call it. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at several passages, several verses from 2 Corinthians 5. Let me read, starting off with 17 through 19. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. 
Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You know, when he says new there in 17, a new creature, a new creation, you know, we've got to remember he didn't just clean us up. He didn't just uh, make us better than we were before. That scripture says that we are brand new creations. I love that. And then 18 is so clear when he says that all of these things are from God. You know, when he's talking about all these things, he's talking about that old to new, doing away with the old, and all these new creations. We are new creations, and that is absolutely God's work. So when you look at this passage, I really think Paul is, is, is making two main points through these verses that we're going to look at this morning. And the first one is right there in verse 18 where he says that God reconciled us to himself through Christ. Think about those words, that God reconciled us to himself through Christ. It's obvious who does the reconciling, isn't it? God is the one who does the reconciling. What does it mean to be reconciled? I'll think about that for just a, just a minute uh, I think we use that word in, in, in a couple of different ways. Uh, a lot of times we refer to it with relationships, whether it be friendships that are broken or marriages that are, that, are, that are broken. We talk about reconciliation, and we're usually talking about both parties coming back together. Um, if you'll notice the way it's used here, it says that God reconciled us to himself. It's not two parties coming together. <laughs> Okay, because there weren't problems on both sides of that relationship. There's only problems on one side of that that relationship. So God brought us into reconciliation with Him. It's what sin did in our life. It broke that relationship. It separated us from Him. So God, through Christ, did the reconciling. He brought us back to Himself. Uh, when I think of reconciliation, and this this dates me, you know. I can't apologize for it because I'm 55 years old. Uh, But when I think of reconciling, I think of what I used to do with my bank statement. Remember those days, if you're old enough to remember when you really lived or or died by that monthly bank statement because everything you bought you wrote a check for and you couldn't go online and check your daily balance and you didn't use debit cards and you didn't use auto pay. Well, my problem, I never was in balance when I would get my statement. (laughs) And I was supposed to reconcile... My bank statement. Well, I was always out of balance. And I remember initially thinking, well, maybe they made a mistake. You ever think that same thing? Well, that never was the case with me. You know, either I'd forgotten to stub a check or I'd misadded something or I'd written it down wrong. It was always my mistake. So when I think of reconciling, I tend to think of being brought back into balance to have a good relationship with. And that's exactly what this word means here. So God, the first point is that God reconciled, him, reconciled us to himself through Christ. And the second point is also from that verse, where he, at the end of verse 18, where he says, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Isn't that interesting that God is the one who does the reconciling, but he gives us the ministry of reconciliation? What in the world does that mean if he's the one who does the reconciling? 
Well, he's going to describe that a little bit more uh, in the next couple of verses that we will look at. Uh, In fact, let's look at verse 19. He kind of explains reconciliation again in 19 where he says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Okay, that's talking about reconciliation. But then he says, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I, I don't know about you, but anytime I see that word, word, I think of communication. That's how we communicate. We communicate with words. And that's what he has given us, the word of reconciliation. He's given us that, that, that responsibility to communicate to the people around us the fact that God reconciled the world to himself through Christ. We're, we're the messengers. <laughs> uh, he does the reconciling. He gave us the message of reconciliation. So think again about those two points. God reconciled him, us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I think it's important to notice that he didn't do that for just some people. You know, He didn't reconcile the world and then say, okay, now I'm giving the pastors the, the message of reconciliation, or I'm giving the elders or the deacons. or you know, It's everybody. It's inclusive. Everybody that he has reconciled, who has accepted Christ as their Savior, he has given us all the word of reconciliation. He says a very similar thing um, when you look at verse 20. Look on at verse 20. We're going to use that ambassador word that I had talked about earlier. But verse 20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. To God. See, when he says, as though God were making an appeal. When I think of somebody making an appeal, what are they using? They're using words. <laughs> when he says, given the word of reconciliation, he's, he's basically saying the same thing again. God is making his appeal of reconciliation through us, but he's the one who does the reconciling. Let's think about the word ambassador. If we are called ambassadors for Christ, we need to know what ambassadors do. I, this is a great uh, source. You know, you can find anything on the Internet. This is actually dictionary.com's definition of ambassador. Look at that. A diplomatic official of the highest rank sent by one sovereign. I love that word. Even dictionary.com used the word sovereign. <laughs> or state to another as its representative. And the other definition was an authorized messenger or representative. I love that that first part of the highest rank. What does that say when God calls us his ambassadors? That's not a lowly position. He is calling us to give the message of reconciliation. And that is a high position that he is putting us in. That's an incredible message. It's an incredible responsibility that he has given and then when it says sent by one sovereign, well, we've sent, we're sent, we have been sent by the sovereign, the one true sovereign God, to another state as its representative. And then at that last part where it says an authorized messenger. Remember Jesus in Matthew 28 says that all authority has been given to me. So Jesus has all this authority, and then he authorizes us as messengers to take the message of reconciliation. 
But we have an incredible responsibility there. I think about the honor and respect that, that diplomatic ambassadors receive. You know, the ambassadors that the U.S. has in other parts of the world. It is an honored position to be an ambassador for Christ. And I really like the word representative, and I'm very familiar with that term. Um, you may not know this, but I worked for 28 years as a, as a medical or a pharmaceutical representative for a company, uh, for Abbott Laboratories. So I, I'm very familiar with what that, what that word means. You know, Abbott Labs is in North Chicago. My customer base was in West Texas. They would never go to North Chicago, so they put me here to be their representative. My job was to represent Abbott Laboratories, to represent them every day, and everybody that I would meet, I would have that opportunity to represent Abbott and its products and its, and its services. Uh, and I took that job very seriously. Ultimately, when people would see me, that's what they would think of Abbott Labs, you know, and that's exactly the position that God has placed us in this world as his representatives, you know. Scripture says that this is not our home. <laughs> Heaven is our home, so we are living in another state as God's representative, as his ambassadors to take his message to those people around us, the people who live around us, who live around you, who you work around. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm really convinced that we don't have to go looking for opportunities. <laughs> we just need to open our eyes because God gives us opportunities on a daily basis of people who cross our paths, but because our mind is on something else, we don't do a, job, a good job of representing. We don't do a good job of, of, of giving them that message of reconciliation. Another thing that is important about that word representative, even though Abbott paid me 40 hours a week, my job was pretty much seven days a week. 24 hours a day, anytime there was a call, I had to take it. Wherever I went, I represented them. This became really obvious to us uh, while we were in England, something we would try to do. It's, it's amazing how much time we spent ministering to a body of 16 people. You know, we did home visits and hospital visits and Bible studies and prayer groups and all these things, but we tried to plan a day a week or maybe two afternoons a week that we could just get out and see the countryside and enjoy being in England. And we we kind of we started calling those. This is our. We're going to take Friday off. And it was really funny how early on, every time we would take a day off, whether it would be at lunch, the people at the table next to us would start engaging us in the conversation. They'd hear us talking and they'd know we were foreigners. <laughs> and in ten minutes, we're having an opportunity to talk about the Lord on our day off. Uh, we took one little trip to Wales. It was just about two hours west of us, and we went to uh, the beach just to kind of enjoy the beach and walk along the beach. And within an hour and a half, God brought two people across our path. One was a, a young man in a wheelchair. He was proudly proclaimed he was an atheist. We had a great chance to visit with him for a while. And then a few minutes later, an elderly woman in a wheelchair who had just lost her husband a while back, and I bet we spent an hour with her. But you know, my point is, as ambassadors for Christ, you don't have days off. You really don't. It's not a 40-hour-a-week job. You're around people all the time. So our, that position that he has called us to is a full-time position I want to read this last verse, verse 21. 
Look at the, the, the magnitude of this verse. He says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so we might become the righteousness of God in him. Think about what that means. You know, we all know Jesus had no sin, right? And to me what that verse says, he didn't have any sin and we didn't have any righteousness. <laughs> so he, there had to be this great exchange. Just as Jesus had zero experience with sin, mankind had zero experience with righteousness. <laughs> so he took Christ and he put our sins on him and he took his righteousness and he put his righteousness on us. What an amazing thing to have. You, you probably noticed we're going to have communion. We're going to celebrate communion together here in just a minute. But I think what a great thought to go into communion with. Think about that verse again. In fact, say that verse with me. With me. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become righteousness of God in Him. What an amazing verse. That's just the, isn't that the gospel in a nutshell right there? Think about how we, how we respond to a, to a text like this. Uh, you see Paul's passion in verse 20 where he says, we beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Look at that phrase, be reconciled. That's a, that's a command. That's not a suggestion. That's an imperative. That's a command, but it's, in, but it's passive. Be reconciled. God's already said He's the one who does the reconciling. He has provided reconciliation through Christ. We have to accept that. We have to yield to Him, allow Him to be our Savior and our Lord. So when I think about responding to these verses we looked at this morning... You know, if you've never made that, if you've never been reconciled, the reconciliation has been done. It's just got to be accepted and appropriated. It is done. That can be done this morning. Just like Paul's appeal to the people, I beg you, be reconciled to God. And for those of us who have been reconciled, whew, what a great thing to do at the communion table, but to give Him thanks and praise for reconciling us, for making us right, with Him, it ought to just be a time of praise and worship and thanksgiving. Let's say that verse one more time. Then I'm going to pray for us. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him.